ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest that's come home for the very first time. We're going to talk MMA, some fighting. It's about to be knuckle time. We got NHL as well and MLB top 10. And we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. They about to blow it again? I don't know. This is downtown sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Shavoni, along with my co-host, the beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. We are downtown sports. This is where sports come home. And I'd like to welcome a first-time house guest. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of The Fight Fan on anywhere you listen to podcasts. They are on Spotify. They're on the Odyssey app. I'm pretty sure he'll tell you all the other places that he's hosted. He's also the producer of The Moose and Maggie Show on WFAN. He has produced and had fist fights with Steve Summers. Shouts <laughs> to Mr. Steve Summers. I remember that 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 I mean, you had to show him why you were the fight fan. I I, I understand that he couldn't smoke Lucky Strikes for like a week. Let's go. But, but um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pete Hoffman. Pete, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. This is fantastic. Thank you. Um, so we actually got some inside information about you from uh, shouts to the Uptown Boys, Jay's Juice and Angel. Let's um, go. True or false? False. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) You you were a guitarist on a band that was featured in Warped Tour. True or false? Uh, I was. Did I play a Warped Tour set? I think that's a false. I'm going to go false. I can't remember. True. (laughs) Because that is exactly what Juice told me. He said you played a Warped Tour set with your band back in the day before you became a producer on WFAN. Then I guess it's true then. I guess if, if, if Jay said it, then I guess it's true. I think I he mean, might be I right. Know. I forget which Warped Tour was at, but you're probably right. It was at probably, was probably at Reynolds Island. I think we played like a side, side stage. Hmm. That is freaking awesome. But um, <laughs> let's get into the first question. Um, you are the fight fan, right? Yeah. You are the ultimate person, in, at least in my opinion, because I've heard a couple of fight podcasts and I happen to like yours, yours the best, at least in New York, that pretty much knows anything you could know about MMA. If you are a person like Beast of the East here, who's really just getting started into the MMA world, what fights should he watch? Because my suggestion was uh, Whaley versus uh, Zervanajak. I thought that was the best female fight in history. What other fights do you suggest if you are new to the sport that you need to get into to really get your feet wet? I mean, the, the ultimate, the, the Whaley version, you know, you, um, Joanna Young Jacek was fantastic. That's definitely, a, an un, that's undoubtedly one of the best fights of all time, but one of the best fights that really put UFC MMA on the map was Forrest Griffin versus Stephen Bonner, the first ever ultimate fighter, which they returned now that the series is back. But that season finale for the for the championship to win the Ultimate Fighter, it was a three round bloodbath. It was outrageous. They ended up giving I don't want to spoil it. So if you haven't watched it, uh, you'll go check it out. But it was it, it's by far one of the best fights of all time. Um, as far as other fights, I mean the Whaley, you really nailed that. That that is outrageous because you're always looking for the best fights. You're looking for something that's going to be engaging, where fighters are going to bring the fight. To, to their opponent, and they're not just going to keep on backing up against the wall, the cage the whole time, and try. It, you want s- some sort of like you know, 
bloodbath. And that's what those two fights specifically would, would get you into. But then there's other parts of the game too. Like um, MMA is not just about the stand-up. It's not about just boxing. It's about the ground game. And there's some really phenomenal fighters out there. You watch a Khabib fight. Some people might think that's a little boring because he's so dominant and can bring people to the ground. So maybe Khabib's not the guy to go watch. But Anderson Silva, when he was in his prime, some of those Anderson Kriba, uh, Liba, uh, Chris Liba fights, Anderson Silva, Chris Liba fights, the Anderson Silva, uh, Rich Franklin, who's one of my favorite fighters. You watch one of those fights, you just see how good Anderson Silva is and the damage he puts on some amazing opponents. Those, those fights you definitely got to check out. We have seen the recent surge, I'd say, of late with UFC, with MMA, with, with boxing altogether. We had two very interesting uh, fights that happened over the last couple of weeks. We had Logan Paul against Floyd Money Mayweather. We had uh, Mike Tyson in his 50s wrestling Roy Jones Jr. in just an exhibition. But the fact that we had these two fights, kind of maybe gimmicky, if you will, is this has this been good or bad for the sport of MMA and fighting altogether? Uh, oh, no, definitely. It's a, definitely a good thing that it's getting attention. Um, and then you're really kind of getting different audiences on every single fight. I've had some conversations with some some huge, big-time players in HBO boxing. And they're like, you know, the fact that you're bringing in attention to, even though it's Floyd Money versus you know, uh, Logan Paul, it's entertainment. You're not looking to go into it. And Chuck Liddell, I said to, I talked to him. He's like, you're not looking at that fight going, oh, I can't wait to see this epic fight. No, you're going to see, you know, Logan Paul last with, with, uh, with Floyd Money Mayweather. And it's okay. You know, you just see what he could do. And it's, it's entertainment. That's why Triller really did a good job by bringing the other elements, the other, the, the musicians, the acts, like even cutting promos with uh, with now, you know, Jake Paul's fighting Tyler Woodley. There was a little promo action in that that that, that first fight. If you saw that, that when he fought Ben Askren, they cut a little promo. They kind of teased that a little bit. So um, is it good for the sport? Yes and no. It's good because you're bringing popularity to it. You're bringing attention to it. You're bringing but, – but is the product what people want to see? Like I go into that Floyd Mayweather fight versus Logan Paul. I'm looking – I'm in there for the fight aspect of it. And that didn't really entertain me, but it brought in a million other people. So they did well on that. But as far as if you really want to see real fights, yeah, you, you, it's, it's good that it's bringing attention, but it's really uh, watering down the product at times, which really can hurt. You know, you, let's put it this way. We just had a pandemic. People don't have a lot of money. Are you spending $50 on uh, Floyd and, and Paul? Or are you going put a seventy dollars on Israel Adesanya and uh, Marvin Vittorio over the weekend? I don't know. You know, it depends. It depends on what you want to do. And there's all different promotions too. Like there was a promotion over on, on Friday. It was there was uh, Lamar Odom versus Aaron Carter for thirty bucks? Are you buying that? I, I, I don't know. But it's entertainment. There was a lot of cool. You know, um, let's see. Paul Malinaji was there. Ice T, Coco were there. Chuck Liddell was a guest rep. So they're all really trying to bring a lot of different elements to, to their, to this fight game and it's good and bad. But again, like I, I would say there's no bad press. There's no bad publicity. Well, that's good because I kind of feel the same way in a way. So let's get these uh, guys educated. If you are a new to boxing, if let's say you're a fan of Logan Paul, you saw him go eight rounds against Floyd money Mayweather, but now you're interested in, this sport, you want to see real boxing because 
Logan Paul wants to obviously participate in the sport of boxing. So if you're one of his YouTuber fans and you really don't know what's what about boxing, which fights would you watch that would teach them what's what about boxing that they could readily find on YouTube? I mean, I'm, I'm well on YouTube. I'm not really sure what's out there on YouTube, but I'm sure you can find a ton of old, like, listen, you go look up Mike Tyson highlights. I'm sure they're there. Um, but like guys that you want to watch right now, like, you know, Triple G, uh, Canelo Alvarez, those type of fighters are, are available and you see their dominance. You see what a real boxer does in a, in a, in a, in a fight. Those are the guys that are really, um, let's see who else is there. There's, um, trying to think of some other good names. I mean, obviously the Tyson Furies of the world in the heavyweight division, that's going to be huge. Uh, Tyson Fury versus, uh, uh, Wilder three of the trilogy, you know, those are the ones that you really see the, the, the top dogs in boxing. Listen, you know, there's so many different promotions and it's a good thing. Um, because you see that there's, there's, there's money to be made out there and you want to see these fighters really, get paid because that's the one thing is like they, they put their their life on the line every time they step into the ring of the cage so you want to see them get paid um paul listen the paul brothers are really doing they're, they're really putting themselves out there i don't know if you guys noticed though for example floyd mayweather definitely got a really good shot on him clocked him and held him up yeah and that's part of the the that will be the storyline for logan paul because he does want to fight somebody that's a bigger name that he can compete with that's not on the Floyd Mayweather level. So I'm not sure who that's going to be. But um, but that being said, though, you they, they are trying to build the storyline up that, that he can compete. And the fact is that they are fighting real people. This is – Ben Askren was never going to knock out Jake Paul. I think we all knew that. I thought he'd defend himself a little better, but whatever. Uh, Tyron Woodley's a – he's knocked out some studs in the MMA game. So – that's a real fight for Jake Paul. I, that's actual. That's an actual test. Now, is there is it rigged? People say that it's rigged. I don't know about that, but it'll it'll be entertaining for sure. Uh, but yeah, like those are the type of guys. There's Ryan Garcia. That's another young guy. He's taking like a year off, but that's like a really huge name in boxing where you want to really look and see who the talented people are. Though that's the type of guy you want to see. Talking with Pete Hoffman. Uh- host of the podcast, The Fighting Fan. Uh, we briefly briefly talked about him, Israel Adesanya. He just had a big win this past week in his previous fight. Is he right now one of the best UFC fighters right now in the sport? Yeah, I say he's like, I, I, it's, you, I, when you talk about like the GOAT of MMA, my choice is always Anderson Silva. What that guy did in the different weight classes, the way he dominated for so long, he was incredible. And he he was up against some of the best fighters in, at that time, too. So it wasn't like he was just like, oh, there's no one here to fight. He's just beating – you know, he's just beating who's next. No, he's beating the best of the best. Um, so to me, to say Anderson Silva and Israel Adesanya, that's tough to do it. But yeah, he's close. He's close, man. And especially in that that middleweight division, he really is legitimately the best fighter of the past generation, no question. Like the torch was handed down. Chris Weidman, another local guy, a Long Island guy, fantastic fighter. Don't get me wrong. But Israel Adesanya is just different. You know, he's got he's got the complete game. 
he's he and he's just the way he does it, his aura, his char- character, his charisma, everything about him. He just he makes amazing fighters look bad. Marvin Vittori is a really good fighter, and he did he was able to take him to the ground. Uh, Israel Adesanya, he took him to the ground, but didn't do anything. wasn't successful. He was able to reverse and and get on top and 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 escape positions of of uh, of um, he was able to reverse and really be able to to dominate in all aspects of the fight, even when he was in incriminating positions. You know, you have when he beat Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker is a stud. The guy went five rounds with Yoel Romero, who is one of the scariest knockout artists in MMA. And Whitaker withstood that and was able to withstand a lot of striking, a lot of uh, very difficult fight. But yet he got knocked out by Israel Asanya twice in the same fight, basically, because one was towards the end of a, of a round. He survived, and then the next round he came back and he got knocked out. And you don't see that. And Israel Asanya is able to pick apart people. He's, he's elusive. He has his, 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 uh, he's got the reach advantage on a lot of these fighters, and he doesn't get touched. That's the crazy thing is you see some of these, these guys, the way they bob, weave. I, I, when they're, they're being attacked, he doesn't get touched, and that's the scary thing. Is it, he is that good that he's able to pick his shots perfectly and avoid strikes? That's incredible. Yeah, you see, that's the thing with Adesanya that I've seen that sometimes Anderson Silva didn't have. That inherent ability to move and strike at the same time without being on the center line. Name me the fighter that you think is a UFC right now that can match Adesanya's ability to dodge in his division. Who's the fighter that you think could go and actually give him that kind of a challenge? Well, we, in his division, because we saw that he went up to the light heavyweight and Blahovich was able to, to figure out a kink, was able to take him down and was able to withstand that. And that's why I thought that was a scary thing I thought with Vittori. You know, that, that might be an, uh, an issue for him, but he was able to withstand that. In his 185 division, who could really give him a, a, a shot? I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. And there's talented guys. I know there's some up-and-comers, but Really, there's no one that comes to mind that jumps out like he's – oh, this is going to be the, a great challenge. Obviously, Robert Whitaker is going to get another chance, um, which is exciting because I think that Robert Whitaker could learn. The one thing you have to understand, in MMA, there's so many different weapons. It's a chess match. It's not just like, all right, I got a couple uh, – uh, boxing, it's, it's basically – I'm going to strike to the head, strike to the body, avoid some punches, you know, try to do, you know, tire out my opponent. But in MMA, there's so many different aspects of it, too. You got eight limbs, you know, you got your, the fists, you got the feet, you got the knees and elbows. But then you also have the ground game. You have so many different components and elements to this that it just, it's such a, it's, it's such a chess match. Someone can learn. I always say this, like when Conor McGregor lost to Nate Diaz that first time around, he made sure next time he stepped in the cage with Nate, he wasn't going to lose. He realized he was not going to be going to be able to knock out Nate Diaz, so he had a different approach. And I think that Robert Whitaker is smart enough and intellectual enough that he can find a way to not engage the way he did. He was he was too uh, fire friendly. He kept in trying. He didn't set up his shots enough because he just tried to find a way to. Uh, he thought he was able to run through Izzy. And he thought that was the way to do it. He wasn't able to, to, to land anything at all. So I think he's going to have a different approach. And Izzy called him out. So that, that'll be fun. 
I, I don't really know who's next though. I really don't. I don't I don't know if Israel Adesanya is that good that it's it's really tough to, to call someone up like, oh, he can actually compete with him. I may have a potential opponent for Mr. Adesanya and Oh good lord. <laughs> what? You don't like the idea? I, I can't it out there. About to say this, go for it Could though. Could you see uh Logan Paul against Adesanya? Oh, Could oh, that realistically yeah. happen? I, I appreciate the reaction prior to that. No, no, not at all. That's <laughs> no, he got his ass kicked. In like 30 seconds. See, that's the thing is that unless you tell me, like Floyd Mayweather beat this guy, I, I want to say it was tension, uh, something or whatever. Some guy in Japan. He he had an exhibition fight with them a few Rise years in ago. network, rise in network, right? Yeah. That kicks by that kickboxer. Yes, exactly. Shout and, to and Matt then, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Initially, initially, that was supposed to be a kickboxing MMA type of fight. And as soon as it was signed. Floyd backed out because he misunderstood the directions. He misunderstood what he was signing. He's not stupid. He's not putting himself in a situation to get his ass kicked. Same thing with Jake and Logan Paul. They're very smart. They're not putting themselves in positions to get their ass kicked unless there's a fine line there like, hey, by the way, I'll fight you, but you can't use your left hand. You can't do this. You can't do that. So that's the only way one of the Paul brothers, the only way Logan Paul is going up against Israel Asanya is if it's like, hey, you're not allowed to touch me at all. I just get to swing at you for like five rounds. And yeah, hopefully, I get to land a punch. <laughs> I think if I think if Logan Paul actually signed the contract to have a real fight with him, he would do better numbers than anything he's ever produced. Because I think everybody who is older wants to see him be eviscerated, and everybody who's younger believes he's Superman and can accomplish anything. So right. I think that would just be the final. Thing. If he knows that his YouTube rates are running out and he's not going to make any more money on YouTube, I think that's the final fight that for, yeah. for the Paul brothers. They're, they're not, Both of them on one. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Two on one. Real fight. Well, that's, that'd be fantastic. I'd still watch that. Them get their ass kicked. Uh, but they're not, they're not running out of money. They're, I mean, they're so loaded that, I mean, they basically set that Floyd Mayweather fight up and it was just like, hey, by the way, can we spar in front of people? That's basically without, without, being in those meetings without being in those 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 situations and the lawyers, that's basically what that was. Was hey, can I just spar with you for eight rounds? Maybe was very impressed with him. He was very impressed with Paul after that fight. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. because he's, yeah, he was impressed with him because he was like, oh man, I impressed you had all that money to give me to spar with you. Sure, yeah, that was great. Exactly, taught like, you a couple wow. things. This, it's like wow, this guy actually had the money to pay me. I actually showed up. I actually competed. I actually did this. I had to hold him up a couple of times because I uppercutted him in the chin once or twice. But, dude, Floyd's smart, dude. Let me tell you something. Floyd is one of the smartest people out there. Conor McGregor went out there and tried to kick his ass and was really hoping to knock him out when they fought. And I think he landed one shot, one flush shot. But the reality is Floyd put a bet in. The round that he knocked him out in, he put a bet in, tried to put a bet in the day of, and they, they stopped it from happening. He knows what he's doing. He does it in a way where Conor McGregor walked away still holding his head up high where he still is able to step back into an MMA cage and sell out the the place and set records every time he fights. And that's what Floyd does for you. So not not only is Floyd the best ever at what he does, he's able to help his opponent out and make, make them let them cash in and let them still have that that star power after the dump. Talking with Pete Hoffman of the Fighting Fan Podcast, I wanted to uh, go to a potential MMA 
fight, but in another venue that's going to be happening uh, later this week on All Elite Wrestling. Jake Hager, right. who has wrestled in an MMA ring, knows a thing or two about the Octagon as well. He'll fight Wardlow. What is your uh, thoughts about Jake Hager when he's crossed over from wrestling from the professional wrestling scene into the fighting scene? So, so he, you know, not for nothing, you got to give anybody credit. Like when you saw CM Punk do it, mm -hmm. um, it was, it was crazy because the fact that he was on the pay-per-view events, he was on two of them. And the first one, Mickey Gall, I said, when Mickey Gall fought uh, uh, CM Punk, I go, the worst thing that's going to happen for CM Punk is he's not going to be able to stand and strike. He's not going to be able to feel his oats. Guy's going to take him down right away and just manhandle him. And that's the worst thing that could happen. And that's what, that's what happened. And that's what happened to CM Punk. And Mickey Gall is very smart. Um, and he's just he, he realized that this just wasn't for him. Bellator has done a smart job by promoting Jake Hager in a way that they're not putting him up against these star-studded even listen not saying that that who CM Punk was fighting was star-studded but Mickey Gall's Gall's legit the other guy Mike Jackson who's fought got kicked out of UFC after that after that performance because it was just like it was just a waste of everybody's time mm -hmm. the guys that Hager's going up against are, are are real and they're really trying to hurt him and they're really trying to win the fight now are they in shape 100% are they the best ever now but they're they're putting on a show of Bellator. That's what Bellator does. They kind of put a little sideshows on here and there. I think Hager, with time, can he knows the game. He knows the sport. I mean, I talked to Eddie Kingston on the reverse side of it, right? Mm -hmm. About MMA guys going to um, to pro wrestling, and he thinks that's easier. That 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 it's they could do it because they already know all the wrestling moves. Now they just have to understand how to sell them. You know, and that there isn't as much contact and all that stuff because there is still contact, but you have to you have to learn how to sell them. When you go into the professional fight, whether it's Bellator, whether it's boxing, whether it's UFC, it's a it's a different thing. But you still have to remember that the guy's going in there, he knows everything, but he's really trying to put the damage in. And listen, he held his own. You know, he really he really he did a good job. It's the conditioning. It's a whole it's a whole different style. So I don't care if you're 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 doing thirty minute you know, pro wrestling fight or your 30 minute MMA fight. If you're used to one thing, stepping in the other side, it's, you're just not familiar enough, but, but I think he held his own. I think he does a good job. Talking with Peter Hoffman. He's the host of the fight fan. He is the producer for the Moose and Maggie show on WFAN. Last question. I want to get you out of here on COVID-19 has really affected a lot of different stuff. Although I think COVID-19 in specifically in terms of, professional wrestling and MMA has actually really brought a lot of attention to it. And a lot more eyes have been on boxing. A lot more people seem to care about MMA. You're hearing more sports updates about it. You're hearing yep. more podcasts pop up like us talking about it. What do you think people being home really just got people interested in stuff that they just maybe were interested in before, but now they're starting to watch. What do you think has gotten MMA such the buy rates and the watch rates that they're getting this year, aside from Logan Paul. So um, it's, it's a, there's a lot of answers in there. Uh, first of all, I don't know if the pandemic helped enough because like, for example, people that really are into like mainstream sports, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, I tried. I was like, dude, there's a huge UFC fight on. Go watch the fight. Um, I, I got other things to do. What are you doing? There's nothing else going on right now. Like, there's literally, you've I've watched every single TV show out there. There's nothing new. I mean, you can start streaming other shows, fine. But like, 
there is no actual live event on right now except for this UFC fight. Go check it out, and people would do it because it's tough. The one thing I don't know about you guys, what what other sports you into besides pro wrestling and stuff like that, but I'm baseball, I'm football, I'm hockey, I'm MMA, I'm other combat sports. So basketball gets the the the, the less of it. I I can't even follow it. I don't know half these players because I'm just not invested into it because I can't. I don't have the time. I I don't. There's only so much I can invest in. So that's the first thing. I don't think it did as well as I would have liked to have done, but the fact that a guy like Dana White, who the pandemic hit, and within a month they had to shut down one of the big, again one of the biggest fights that they wanted to pull off was the Khabib uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov Tony Ferguson fight five times man they just got that thing five times and it, they had to cancel it five times let down it was going to be in Brooklyn it was going to be amazing um, that being said though the fact that Dana was able within a month to bring fights back and to basically with that first. That first week, they had three fights in a span of eight days. That helped. Dana is a trendsetter. Dana is does he, Dana doesn't want to stop. He wants to just keep on building his product and keep on building. And that's what he always has done. If you look at, at boxing, the biggest issue they've had is trying to find stars to fight each other. They fight. They just don't fight each other. Uh, Dana basically finds ways to get his star-started athletes to fight each other. And he continues to do that and does it week in, week out. So that definitely, the fact that they're on ESPN Plus, that was another huge thing. You talk about the, these, these stream sites, these, you know, whether it's the zone, whether it's, I think WWE has the best, by the way. They're the smartest. I don't know about you guys, but the fact that they have the WWE network and you get every month, you pay the same price, but you get everything. That's what I wish UFC would do. But I understand why, unfortunately, they don't do that because there's too many. Um, too many athletes that they they're, they they have they they don't have it's not a union it's not anything it's just they're one offs you know. Remember though, the WWE app is over. They are now on Peacock. They are a feature on the Peacock TV app. Wait, what? When did that happen? Uh, about a WrestleMania, couple of- starting from WrestleMania. Yeah, really. So the, the so the, the 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 network is done. The network so is done. Go, so if you're going to go on to CWB pay reviews, you have to see them on Peacock now. Yep, but and the, whole, the, same, history, still, the whole history the is there. Model. Still pay the same thing. So is it it's nine ninety nine a month, or is it is it like a pay per view is like seventy bucks a month, seventy okay. bucks for pay per view? Same nine ninety nine a month. You pay the you pay whatever the peacock peacock price is, and you get WWE as a channel on Peacock with all of the history and everything that was on the WWE network, but it's all on Peacock. That's it. I, I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't realize I did that. So now here's the thing, right? So MMA, UFC, Dana White. Huge contract with ESPN, which is why you see a lot of highlights on ESPN because they're making the push. They bought into it. They invested into it. They, they spent, I forgot how much, many millions of dollars. It was like hundreds of millions of dollars they put in, invested into UFC. So that's why you see the highlights because they've invested the time and money. They're going to show you. They're going to try to show you everything. They got PFL. They got UFC. They have documentaries on all this stuff. They bought all the product. But the one thing that they don't do, which I still love that, even if it's on Peacock, that you get the pay-per-view for that price, I pay for the ESPN Plus app and I get all the free fights. But then the pay per views, I still got to dish out another seventy bucks. You know, they go, "Oh, we got a five dollar discount." That's my ass. You know, I still want to. <laughs> I want. You know, I'm putting a, a ton of money into MMA. I put so much all the time that I want to get these f- fights included in there. But the point is, is that Dana White really was a trendsetter. Bellator's following suit. 
all these places are really putting their product out there. We're able to get their sooner and we're able to get fans back in before other places. Like you think about this, um, WWE and AEW with the creativeness, with the, the TVs and stuff like that. That was that was huge to get their, their fans back in the stadium. Um, UFC was able to pack a house in Jacksonville a, a few months ago for one of their pay-per-views. That was incredible. So they're really trying to set, set the set the stage and be ahead of it, you know? It's a very positive thing, and the world of sports are going to continue to evolve even through this pandemic of COVID-19. Pete Hoffman host of the Fight Fan Podcast, producer for the Moose and Maggie Show. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us. A real pleasure. Uh, it was my pleasure, guys. You guys are awesome. This is great. Thank you so much. When we come back, we, first we started the show talking about fighting on the mat. Next, we're going to talk about fighting on ice. Eight minutes of NHL talk right after this. Cut record. And we're back to downtown sports. I am the beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente, along with my co-host, the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We want to thank Pete Hoffman, host of the Fight Fan Podcast, for joining us earlier today. He also is producer for the Moose and Maggie show on WFAN. Before we dive into our next segment, Mouth, where can our listeners hear us? Anchor. Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, and wait, wait, we have one more. Verbal. You can find us there too. Probably, uh, they probably have us playing on the moon somewhere. I don't know. They, they, they hear us in the space station every week. Mm. All these different places. We are downtown sports. We are where sports come home. And, uh, we're going to get into eight minutes of NHL talk. Eight minutes. Yep. Let's begin first before we uh, dive into the playoff picture. The Rangers made a move and a very yes. important move in that math. They hired Gerard Gallant to be their new head coach. Yes. This guy's been around nine different NHL teams. I believe he was responsible for the Vegas Knights. Yep. Very first coach for the Vegas Golden Knights. And they went pretty deep with him. They yes, went they deep. Did. He was, uh, he was the one that drafted Rick Nash in Columbus. He ended up coaching the Florida Panthers. So he also had a pretty respectable career as a player. He was a right winger. So, somebody so that really he was had... responsible for this iteration of the Panthers team that just made the playoffs. Yeah, Galan had a very big role on many of the teams that you see in these playoffs right now through his ability to find talent and his ability to also just get a team to have that right mindset of how you have to play in the playoffs. So is this something we have to yell at Dolan for, or are, are, is he making the ho- letting the hockey people make hockey decisions here? Well, we're going to see what happens, but having Gallant here is going to help guys like Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. That is going to help the two of them tremendously, two big stars on the Rangers offense, and maybe didn't have somebody to uh, take you a certain direction here. A little endorsement from a fellow Florida Panther and longtime NHLer in Yaramir Yager said okay. this even himself. Okay. He's tough but friendly and he is honest with the players in describing Gallant. And really, again, even in his mid 40s, Yager played some of his best hockey with the Florida Panthers under Gallant. So it's going to tell you something. 
that he does open up space for the offensive players to play. And I'm sure he's going to develop their defense to becoming a better physical presence than it was throughout the last couple of years. All right. So um, I guess we can't really say anything too bad about this hire. Just see yet. where this goes. Let's see where this goes. Yep. Um, meanwhile, meanwhile, it's allowed 11 minutes, 20 seconds left to go in the third period. The Tampa Bay Lightning are up 3-1 on the New York Islanders in game two of the NHL. They're calling it the Stanley Cup semifinals for some strange reason this year because of the, I guess, because of how they realigned everything. Yeah, I guess. It's weird. So but the Islanders, all right, but we could have a tied series possibly when this is all said and done. We basically have an Eastern Conference final. Oh, and wait, nope. The Tampa Bay Lightning have just scored another goal. It is now 4-1. to one. Berlamov is just poop behind the net today. The Lightning have just kept up their attack. Even though the the Islanders won the other night, even the Lightning, uh, even Coach Cooper admitted their mind was not there. Their mind was not in that game for the first one. Well, now the uh, Lightning have obviously woken up. The Lightning are now. And this could spell a little trouble if you're Barry Trotz right now. Berlamov started the game. He got a. decked by Braden Point. So Sorokin played a few minutes, then Varlamov came back. So Varlamov was okay. Whatever collision it was, ladies and gentlemen, didn't knock him out of the game. So, but still. So wait, if Varlamov got into the collision, Sorokin makes six saves. They put Varlamov back out on the ice and then Verlamov proceeds to give up a goal in the first period, a goal in the second period, and now two goals in the third. Mm-hmm. Well, why could they let Verlamov back out there? Maybe uh, Trotz is going to just say, all right, we'll just throw this game away, and then I'm putting Sorokin back in for game three. Well, remember why we- would you have thrown this game away? You, you were winning this game. Well, the Islanders, You were winning uh, this game. The Islanders never led in this game. They were down one nothing. Okay, they tied it, but they never led. They never led in the game, the Islanders. So, um, however you want to slice it, though, I will be very curious if Barry Trotz is going to decide on putting Sorokin back. And remember, what, uh, Trotz did this before. He rode with the hot hand when his goaltending, if one goaltender was struggling, he went to the other one, and he rode that hot hand. Verlamov's been hot lately for him. Yeah, but Verlamov now got, hit, got involved in a collision. You put him back in the game, it's clear he wasn't quite 100%. And now you I have think to it's also clear that uh, Trotz did not believe Sorokin was prepared for this game. Well, Sorokin seemed ready, so this is a this is a very interesting choice. But with game with this game likely to be now tied in the series, now an important game three comes for the Islanders. Now the series goes back to New York. Let me just explain something, really, really, really quickly. We knew the Islanders could possibly lose game two. We knew that you know game two was something that they probably weren't going to win winning game one in Tampa was just amazing for the Islanders. The fact that Tampa didn't show up, the fact that Tampa all of a sudden decided to not have their mentality there, that could cost them this series. Because like I said, this was going to be a six or seven game series. I believe in the lightning to win. However, you can't make mental mistakes against the Barry Trotz coach team. Unfortunately, it seems Barry Trotz has made a mental mistake right back because when tied one-to-one after Sorokin has six saves, after your starting goalie, Verlamov, just had to get off the ice for a collision, 
you went back to the goalie that was hurt instead of the hot hand who had just gotten done blocking six shots for you. Why would you have gone back to the injured goaltender when you're tied one-to-one against quite arguably the best team in the NHL left in these playoffs? Well, let's hope that's not a decision that's going to come back to haunt Barry Trotz for the rest of this series. I mean, it's already came back to haunt him in this game. Four to one right now. Nine minutes left to go in the third period as I'm watching this on uh, NBC. Game three is going to tell me a lot of things. Game three is going to tell us a lot about where this series is going. You know, I'm still not sure about that. I think if the Islanders win game three, it's not going to tell us where the series is going. I think if the Lightning win game three. Now, that game three is a pivotal game. Game three is pivotal for the Lightning. I think it's more pivotal for the Lightning. The Lightning need game three more than the Islanders do because the Island, because the Lightning need to win game three to show that they can win on the Islanders' home ice. Right now, the fact that the Islanders won game one in Tampa is beyond belief. If the Islanders were to win game two, I would have called the series over going back to Brooklyn, going back to Nassau Coliseum. I would have called this series over. Here's why I won't. Mm-hmm. One, Trotz made that regrettable decision to go back to Verlamov after Verlamov suffered a collision. I don't understand why he needs to answer some questions at a press conference about that later on after the game. That's first. Second off, if the Lightning win on Nassau Coliseum ice and go up two games to one, all of that good feeling and that good work you did winning that first game on Tampa ice means nothing because now you've got to win another one. Mm. Definitely going to see where that goes. If I have the Islanders going up two one is absolutely imperative because then if you're up 2-1 on your home ice and you've already taken a game from them on theirs, this game two set of mistakes, this game two, well, let's be real. In a postseason situation, 4-1 is a blowout. Yes. 4-1 is a blowout in the NHL in the postseason. Every game is 3-2, 2-1. High-powered offenses aren't scoring worth a lick because everybody's playing better defense. Everybody's throwing themselves in front of the puck people who you wouldn't see throw their body in front of the puck or all of a sudden flying in front of bullets like Neo from the matrix. Yeah, definitely. So this is going to be interesting for the Islanders and the lightning. Now the next path, this series will go. The gold Knights took game one of their series with Montreal on the Western conference side and the Vegas golden Knights look about as dangerous as they always do. I mean, like I said, Cinderella is done. I said whoever was winning that series was not going to have a tr- trouble with Montreal. Cinderella, nope. <clears throat> the clock has struck midnight. The carriage is now a pumpkin. It's over. Um, I hope Montreal fans are happy with a uh, conference uh, championship appearance because that's all they are going to get in this weird season. So basically, the last time you're ever going to see something like this again, where in a conference championship, the Montreal Canadiens will be playing the Western Conference champion, in my opinion, at this point, the Golden Knights. Because all the other Western Conference teams are out, we have three Eastern Conference teams in the final four of the NHL playoffs. Only one Western Conference team remains. So congratulations, Las Vegas. You are the Western Conference champions. Whether you win or lose. How does that feel? Whether you win or lose, Theo Flory is Mr. Flory is a conference champion 
once again. Will he officially be a conference champion? We'll find out at the end of this series. But in reality, there is no other Western Conference team remaining in these playoffs. Well, on that note, let's take a little break. When we come back. Oh, God. An MLB top 10. You're not going to like this. When did I ever like the top 10s? When have uh, I ever I, liked them? I don't either. Why do, why do we keep doing Well, because the listeners like them. Love it. We got to. We got it. We, have we give you guys what you freaking want. <laughs> you want us to have agita, stress, and aneurysms. That's apparently what you want. You guys love those Tony top tens. So right. you must love it when Beast wants to throw up. We have a bucket coming Beast's way next week. But for now, he's going to have to keep it all in. Back after this. And we're back to Downtown Sports on the Mouth of the South. John Chimone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. Let's get right into this disgustingly awful, admittedly, I don't know where this came from. I don't know what to say about this, Beast. It's Let's that just bad. dive right into number 10. Your buddies, everybody's favorite team, the Houston Astros. I know they play a little better, but why are they 10? Why? Oh, Michael Brantley's a reason. Last five games, he's been hitting well before Sunday's last five games. He was hitting 600. It's incredible what Houston can make up for with their lack of pitching right now. Their hitting makes up for all the lack of the pitching they have at this point right now. It's incredible. But, you know, their lineup stays healthy. Yeah. Their lineup knows how to hit. Yeah, they they hit for contact. You know, they they do things like – for example, tonight, Pete Alonzo in a Mets win, you know, had uh, three RBIs, two of them off of a single, and one of them off of a sack fly. Sack fly. Yeah. Shocking. Incredible. Thank yeah, you. no, but the, the analytics books don't like that, so I guess those are useless, right? Those RBIs are stupid. They don't count because they weren't hit off of a home run or a booming double. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, for Brian Cashman, those kind of RBIs are no good. on. They're not acceptable RBIs for the Yankees. You know, the Yankees are uh, very, very, very snobbish about the runs they like to score, you know, being last in the AL and run score. Isn't that incredible that they're last no. in the American League? I, I never thought I'd see that. It's not incredible. It's insipid. Yeah, well, I never thought I'd see that number, them being dead last. Never. The Orioles get more runs than the Yankees, guys. The Orioles. Even the Tigers. And the Mariners. Well, the Mariners have some power, have some hitting in their lineup. So, I mean, that's kind of a fair point. But the Tigers. Tigers don't have really any big name hitters. Okay, they got Miguel Cabrera. Whoop de doo. Is he? He's not the, the hitter he used to be anymore. No, he's not. No. Very Tigers no, team. He got swept by. Not Very at Tigers all. team. He got swept by. All right, number nine. Who have we yep. got? At number nine, a team that doesn't deserve to be there right now, especially considering that the way that they're playing, the Chicago Cubs are number nine on this top ten. Well, they had a they had a strong series against the Cardinals, uh, and that was a statement series. If you were the Cubs, they had to prove that they can beat an arch rival of theirs. And the Cardinals are always a team that never goes away. And when you can beat the Cardinals, and you could do it in their place in St. Louis, huge. It proves that I said that St. Louis was crap, and I was right. 
Well, it didn't so, help the Jack. Fla- well, Jack Flaherty getting hurt really hurt this team, right? Yep, I agree with that. It just shows you how big of an ace pitcher he is to that staff and how important he is to that whole team. And you lose him. It shows you how much depth St. Louis doesn't have to cover an injury. That shows you. Number I eight. I know a team that covers injuries well. You know, the Mets, they cover their injuries very well. They're still in first place. Number eight on this list, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. A little bit low for my taste. The Brewers have been playing Three. pretty solid baseball of late. I agree. I think they should be higher on this list. Christian Yelich turning back the clock again, showing you the type of hitter he always is, as clutch as he comes. Hater to close your games. And you've been, you know, the pitching has been actually better than I had anticipated. What Brandon Woodruff, uh, Corbin Burns, even Adrian Hauser delivering consistent innings right now for Craig Council. You know, it, it, it would seem that, you know, they're pitching well, they're hitting well. They're hitting for contact. They're hitting for power. You know what? They're actually playing baseball as baseball was intended. If you look at the teams on this list, they all seem to have one common thread amongst them. They use all aspects of the game, not just the analytics book. Number seven is a perfect example of this. The Boston Red Sox. Xander Bogarts is fourth in the American League in OPS as of Sunday. And none of the starting pitchers of the Red Sox have an ERA. That well, is of Boston below right four now. at this point. Well, none of them have an ball ERA ball. that's below four at this point. Yet that's they are still ball. where they are. And Boston is another three outs away from a victory. They're up 10 7. Oh, good. Thanks Dude. to a three run homer by Verdugo. Thank you. Thank you so much for. Uh, keeping those Atlanta Braves down in the standings. Oh, now you got to get the last three outs and you have to get three, uh, three outs of all three of their best hitters. Well, I believe in you, Boston. I believe in you. Number six on this list, Yep. a team that I don't understand why they're this high. Uh, the San Diego Padres. Yeah. After having, an embarrassing, after having an embarrassing series against a team that I, I'm just going to give a spoiler alert. It's not even on the top 10, the New York. You're very Mets. lucky if you are the Padres that you even took one game out of that three game series. Yeah. It was very, that, that should have. Why aren't the Mets on this list? That's, I, 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 the Padres are six. The Cubs, who the Mets are currently smacking around Seth Lugo, just closed out a game. Mets aren't on this list. Where, why the lack of respect for the boys from Queens? We've been putting the Yankees on this list as they've been tanking and tanking and tanking. Can I say they're giving the Yankees that? love and respect, yet somehow my Mets don't belong here? Uh, can I actually share a nice fact with the Yankees? Uh, they actually just won. Oh, really? All is right. All is right in Yankee land. They won 6 5. They're Chapman. two games above 500. They beat the Blue Jays in Buffalo. In front of the home crowd of Yankee fans from Syracuse and Rochester. And let me even share some better news. Uh, the Rays are losing and down to their last two outs. Oh, great. Eight games back. Right? Let's go. And the Rays lost Tyler Glasnow to an injury. Oh, oh, by the way, we'll mention the Rays later. But oh, yeah. Let's Tyler Glasnow. But let, let's, just, uh, let's just talk about this injury real quick. Do you know what he came out and said? He blamed spider tack for it. He blamed uh he blamed the spot well, not using the spider tack and taking it away. 
Uh, that's why I, I he had to overgrip the baseball, and that's why he tore his UCL. Well, here's what I have to say, Mr. Glasnow. You knew that was cheating. And now that you're not allowed to cheat, you are complaining that your lack of cheating has now caused you injury. Your lack of cheating has now caused you injury. Really? That's the statement you literally just put out there. Because I can't use spider tack. This is paraphrasing, of course. Yeah, I'm going to read exactly what he said. I'm going to read exactly what he just, what he said. From his own words, please. Okay. An animated glass now said, I switched, you know, obviously because of the uh, whole uh, change. He said he felt something pop in his arm and that White Sox out, right? Because he was not using the, uh, he did away with using the sunscreen. The only foreign substance he said he has ever used. He used sunscreen. Not, he didn't use rosin, he used sunscreen. Oh, really? He didn't use rosin. That's why, that's why every star, every, after every pitch, I don't see him batting the rosin bag like a cat. All right. He says, I switched my fastball grip and my curveball grip. I had to put my fastball deeper into my hand and grip it way harder. Instead of holding my curveball at the tip of my fingers, I had to dig it deeper into my hand. I'm choking the S out of all my pitches. So he, he went into, he went, no went, longer cheat. He went into a little bit more also. Uh, Oh, great. Like, like, all right. So when he was, uh, he said there was, Glasnow said there was talk going back a couple of weeks that eliminating anything that helps pitchers' grips could lead to an increase in injuries. In my mind, that sounds dumb. That sounds like an excuse a player would use to make sure he, should, he could use sticky stuff. I threw the Nationals. I did well. I woke up the next day and I was sore in places. I didn't even know I had muscles in. Oh, yeah. Waking up after that start, I was like, this sucks. Something is weird here. The same feeling is persisting all week long. I go into my start Monday and that same feeling is there. It pops or whatever the hell happened to my elbow. I feel it. Something happened. Do it in the off season. He says with the adjusting, with the taking away of the substances, do it in the off season. Give us a chance to adjust to it. But I just threw 80 innings. Then you tell me I can't use anything in the middle of the year. I have to change everything I've been doing the entire season. I'm telling you, I truly believe that's why I got hurt. I'm telling you, I truly believe that's why I got hurt. Yes, you believe that you got hurt because you and the rest of Major League Baseball have been put on notice that we noticed that you're being bad and you're cheating and you're using too much sunscreen. And then he also said, uh, me throwing 100 miles an hour and being six foot seven is why I got hurt, but that contributed. Sounds like Glasnow is, uh, I don't know what to say, is Glasnow maybe uh, being a bit of a crybaby? You know what this is? You know what this is right here? This is the world's smallest violin. I am playing it for you, This is what you get. You are complaining that because you can no longer cheat, that you are now injured. Well, granted, granted, I don't think it should be cheating to have some sort of grip control on your fastball and your pitches so that you don't end up with a Kevin Pillar situation where somebody gets busted in the mouth with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. That's just my opinion. But you're literally complaining because you can't cheat anymore. But I'll say this, and before we continue the top 10, I want to bring this point up. Go for it. Now it's not only just Glasnow hurt. Max Scherzer just got placed on the uh, with a groin injury. Mm. Don't know if that's related to the substances, but who knows? And now, one last thing on the substances. Yep, we have one last bit. 
And now there's word, and I just got word of it minutes ago. Shane Bieber, increased shoulder pain, felt dangerous. Apparently felt a little uh, irritation. Could that oh. be also from taking away the banned substance, taking away the sticky substances now? How about this? It have a reverberating effect throughout How about baseball this? now. Another mm -hmm. Yankee pitcher has been accused of spider attack use. Corey Kluber. Right now, he's hurt. Right now, he's on the IL. We don't know when he's coming back. And uh, funny how he goes on the IL right around the time when Major League Baseball starts getting a little bit, suspicious. you know, suspicious of the sticky stuff. He probably has a start or two and rips his arm off. Well, look what was happening also, uh, you know, for the first month or two of the season. Left and right. No hitters, pitchers taking no hitters into the eighth inning, seventh inning. You were, you know, the batting average across baseball is down this year. Oh, they dead in the baseballs. It's all the baseballs, the baseballs, the baseballs. It's constantly excuses. Yep. You want to put the ball in play, learn how to hit. By the way, up swinging Tyler for the Glass home run. Now, if Tyler Glass now really thought about what he said, he wouldn't have said it because. All that literally sounds like is, wah, I can't cheat no more. Wah, I'm six foot seven. I throw hard pitches, and that's why I hurt my elbow. Really? That you come off, that is the weakest, most. What excuses? Pushover type answer I've ever heard. You're blaming the fact that you can no longer use a substance that helps you grip. What I, happened uh, What happened when Glasnow had a previous injury against the Yankees? Uh, you remember that forearm injury he suffered uh, a couple years ago? You remember that? Maybe that was when he couldn't use pine tar anymore after they discovered Pineda with it. Did Glasnow say a single word from that injury? No. Hmm? Now, yeah. now, it's, now it's the spider tack. How many times has Jacob deGrom been hurt? Over the last couple of years, has he complained about, oh, you know, I can't use uh, sticky substances it's anymore? Because of the spider tack, I can't use the spider tack, and now my arm hurts. And then Garrett Cole gets called out by Josh Donaldson and et cetera. And his answer basically amounts to, oh, and so on. All right. Next on the list, number five. We're going to get even crazier. Oh, no. The Dodgers are number five. That's Max an interesting Muncy, drop. Weren't they like number two, number one at one point? They've been, they were, but uh, I believe they were ahead of the Padres. They were behind the Padres last week. Now they're ahead of them. They were in third. They were in third in the ALS, but, you know, no, no longer. The Dodgers have picked it up over the last couple of games, so give them credit. They, you know, playing a tough series with the Phillies. That's an important one. If you're the Dodgers, you want to beat Philadelphia. And you have an opportunity to. So name me the pitcher with the most wins in the National League. I'll give you a clue. Is it Dodgers starter? Arias. Correct. With nine. As well, of Sunday, leads the National League with nine wins. And Bueller's six and oh, right behind him. Yep. And this is with a subpar Kershaw. Imagine if Kershaw is sharp, how much more dangerous the Dodgers can be. Father time has gotten to Clayton Kershaw. Oh, he's 33 years old now. He's 33. And age, a lot of pitchers kind of start to uh, 
wind down a little and bit. How long has Kershaw been in the league? He's been in the league for at least 12 years. 2008. 2008. So he's been in the league for 14 years. He's 33 years old. He's been pitching at the majors. I mean, the majors since the age of 19. Father time is on that arm, ladies and gentlemen. Well, he's not the same Clayton Kershaw. He's just well, not. Kershaw has had to carry the load of this team for a very long time. Let's be very fair about that. Kershaw right now, up to this point in his career, has thrown 2,415 innings. It's a lot of innings to throw for an ace pitcher. That, that wear and tear on your arm. He's very lucky he's been able to get to this stage and throw close to 3,000 innings. That's hard. That is luck. That's like almost impossible in today's game to throw that many innings in, in a 13-year career. How many guys like Kershaw have we seen come up with electric stuff who tear their arm, rip their stuff up? Matt Harvey is a perfect example of this. All the talent in the world rips his elbow apart, never the same again, just barely making it back to the major leagues on the Baltimore Orioles starting pitching staff. Yeah, and yet incredibly, Kershaw is 8-5 this year with a 3.39 ERA, which is normally I would say that's, that's an okay ERA for a starter, and that really kind of is a decent ERA for a starter. It's well, just Kershaw knows how to pitch. Yeah, Kershaw knows how to pitch. So let me just say this. Kershaw's pitching knowledge is going to make him one of the more dangerous pitchers in the game. Also, do not think that Clayton Kershaw doesn't understand that his best performances need to be in the postseason, not in the regular season. Absolutely. So don't think that Kershaw is not going to all of a sudden magically gain a few miles an hour on his fastball come postseason time. Number four in our top 10. The Oakland Athletics with uh, Matt Olson in his last six games as of Sunday. Mm-hmm. As of Sunday, his last six games, he was hitting 400, eight for 23 home runs, seven RBIs. Um, Sean Manaya is uh, five and two. Good. With a, 1.35 ERA. It's really incredible. Matt Olson. Last uh, seven starts. Matt Olson's been leading the way for this Oakland A's team. And they just have a great lineup up and down. The pen worries me a smidgen. It's still kind of shaky to me. So many teams on this list the Mets but should be ahead of. So many. Interestingly enough, the, uh, the Yankees will see the Oakland A's later this week at Yankee Stadium. Well, there's some losses for the Yankees. Yeah, well, we'll see where that series goes. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Down the toilet like the rest. Momentum can change. Down the toilet like the rest. Look, it, it, this is how you know the, the Yankees season is screwed. Gary Sanchez has finally woken up his bat, and it doesn't matter one iota. Not one. I believe he is, what, 16 for his last 30-something at bats, mm-hmm. 19 for his last 47 at bats. He has eight home runs, 25 RBIs in that span of time, something ridiculous like that. Like, Gary Sanchez has been on a tear, ladies and gentlemen. He's been on a tear. Definitely. But uh, none of that matters because the rest of the team ain't hitting around him. They're not pitching either. Number three on this list. Yep. Another team we should be below the Mets, but aren't the San Francisco Giants. Well, Buster Posey. I mean, his uh, batting average dropped considerably for the last week. He went from like 341 to 329. Oh, yeah, significant drop. His OPS is 971. Yep. 
Dotson's four and one with an under one ERA over his last five starts. Yeah. Would you believe uh, right now, if we were to go through ERA leaders right now, obviously DeGrom is number one in the National League. You know what number two is? It's Kevin Gossman. Yep. What is it? 1.4 of an ERA. Normally that would be considered extraordinary, but DeGrom's is on a whole different level of 0.5. Jacob DeGrom is just, I don't know. You saw something in DeGrom very early and you knew then he was going to be. Oh my God. When I saw his first start, I saw his first start. I went to city field with my sister and I saw his first start and I just looked at this kid and I just said, why does this, why is Matt Harvey getting all the press when this guy's slider is better? That's why pro tip you saw DeGrom before you saw Matt Harvey. Little under the radar, a little slip before you saw Matt Harvey, before you saw Noah Syndergaard, you saw a meek looking young man with long hair by the name of Jacob DeGrom. Little did we know we were going to see the best pitcher in New York history. Not Matt's New York. I'm talking better than Mo. Mo couldn't do this. No. No. Not even close. Let's just say it. Straight away. Not even close. This is the most talented pitcher we've ever seen since Babe Ruth. And DeGrom right now has a 22-inning streak of not giving up a run. And he will put that on the line tomorrow in game three of their of Mets series with the Cubs. And, you know, the Mets are four games above any other team in their division. Still not on this list! Number two. two. A deserving number two. A deserving number two, I will say. The Chicago White Sox. Chicago White Sox? After all the crap that they go through with their stupid manager and all this uh, production from Abreu not swinging at 3-0 pitches, I mean... Imagine if Abreu swung at 3-0 pitches, he'd have 20 home runs right now. But 11 home runs, 49 RBIs for a guy that can't swing at 3-0. You know, otherwise, he'll uh, suffer team consequences within the family. Mm-hmm. You know, for a team that can't swing on 3-0, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to get Tony LaRusso for this until the end of time because that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of. Imagine you know, have, you know, you know you're in Mercedes. out your player like that. You notice that Urban Mercedes uh, has really dropped off with his hitting. He's now under 300. See what happens when you kill the confidence of your rookies by uh, curbing their enthusiasm. Good job. Good job. Liam Hendricks is three and one with uh, 44 strikeouts and 28 innings pitch has 17 saves out of 20 opportunities. He just picked up another one today. The White Sox shut out the Rays. Remember this was as of Sunday. Oh, so then these two teams maybe should be switched. Our number one team, of course, is the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Well, for now, the Rays are still very much atop the American League East. And, well, not comfortably ahead because Boston's kind of right behind you. But the Rays just continue to find ways to win all sorts of games in crazy ways. You get rid of Blake Snell. You get rid of Charlie Morton. You thought the Rays were going to be weaker going into the season. Well, now we're going to see where now we're going to see a weaker race team for sure. Glass now's out for the year. That's it's big. Over for him. Well, we don't know if he's out for the year yet. Tanaka pitched with a partially torn UCL. 
But at least a couple of months. That's at least a couple of months. He never he had, had to miss time upon the initial injury. He oh, yeah. had to go under surgery. But he never he had to miss had a to... couple of months. I think he had to miss at least the rest of a year, though. But he never, yeah. But he never, but he decided to pitch with the torn UCL and never actually do the surgery to repair it. He pitched yes. with the UCL tear for the rest of his time with the Yankees, and he was fine. Look, I'm not saying Glass now can't. I'm not saying he can't do that, but you're at least going to see him shut down for a month or two. Yeah. Glasnow, I'm a little more worried about because Glasnow, unlike Tanaka, who throws about 91, 92, Glasnow throws 100 miles an hour. Remember, Glasnow with a great curve. Tanaka was throwing 94, 95 before that tear. He was still at times, even after the tear, getting it up there when he had to, but he was mainly sitting around 92, 93-ish. Maybe. That tear takes three miles an hour away from your pitches. And Tanaka was still pretty efficient despite all of that. Because Tanaka was a very skilled pitcher. I'm very curious. To I'd like to see if Glasnow will become that pitcher. Will he have to learn how to pitch with maybe 93 miles an hour instead of 97? I'm not sure if Glasnow can pitch with diminished stuff just yet. Um, I think he might go for that. He might elect for that surgery to keep his velocity. That's going to keep him out for a while, and that's going to knock him out for the rest of the season. And if that does, that might knock the Rays out for the rest of the season. But it's we'll still early, it. though. We the Rays off the Rays offense, though. Yes, they have taken. So some- once again, I asked the question after a beautiful series against the Padres: Why aren't the Mets on this list? They've gotten no respect at all all season long. Yeah, because everybody they are there. quite honestly the best team in New York. They're the best team on the East Coast right now, in my opinion, other than Tampa. They're the best team in the East Coast. They're better than Atlanta. They're better than all the teams in their division. They're definitely better than the Yankees right now. They're better than the Red Sox. In my opinion, they're better than the Blue Jays. They're about on the level of the athletics. They're better than the Cubs. They're we saw that they can keep up with the Padres. I'm sure if they can keep up with the Padres, they can keep up with the Dodgers or the Giants. Why aren't the Mets on this list? Where is their respect? I think they're a better team than the Astros, for sure. I wouldn't put them above the Brewers right now. I wouldn't put them above the Sox. I wouldn't put them above the Rays. I wouldn't. Put I them guess people are still heat. looking at the fact the Mets play in a crap division. You know, nobody's winning in that East for the National League. You know, Mets have played seven fewer games. Uh, but to be fair, now the Mets are going to make up a good chunk of those games. Uh, over the next coming games here, over the next week or so. Mets have some doubleheaders they have to make up. They do. Three of them. So we'll see where the Mets are going to get themselves into here. This will really tell us if the Mets can run away with that East for good for the rest of this season. When we come back, we're going to go probably talk about this next game live as it goes on, tell you about how it ends. And tell you about where we think this series is going to go in the future. This is an all New York NBA segment right after this. You know something? I just, I can't, I can't right now. We were going to do an NBA four piece combo I mean, I guess we're still going to do it, but, you know, this combo seems to be a lot of joints, a lot of broken knees and shoulders and diseases. And where'd you get this four piece from, Chris? We're we're back downtown sports on the mouth of the South. That's the beast of the East. What is this? Well, 
This is our soul food edition of our four-piece combo today. It's we old soul, soul food. Well, you talked about limbs and joints, soul, you know, good for the that's soul. That's not soul. Like, oh my God, no. I mean, that's good for chicken stock, but that's about it. What's the first uh, part of this combo? Well, let's begin. It's with the Phoenix Suns who have already advanced. Oh, the disease part. But bad news has struck the Suns a little bit. Chris Paul is in COVID protocol. And he he's might out indefinitely. COVID. He might have COVID and he might miss the entire, the entire Western Conference Finals. We don't even know if he's vaccinated or not. We don't even know if he was, if he's vaccinated, he might be able to come back sooner. Well, we'll we're going to find out if he's vaccinated or, or not. Or maybe now. you have to hope if the series that we're in right now can drag on for a few more days, that takes some days off of the COVID protocol. Maybe Chris Paul comes back sooner. But unfortunately for the Suns, we've got a different problem in L.A. Guess who mm-hmm. might have a torn ACL, Beast? It's Kawhi Leonard. And the next question of our four-piece just popped up. The Clippers have lost him for game five and possibly for the series with the Jazz. How much faith do you have in Paul George? Um, about as much faith as a satanic person has in Jesus. You really don't think Paul George can carry the load, do you? No, I don't. But I still have to roll with my prediction of the Clippers winning this series, so I had better hope well, that he can. Now they have a pivotal game five tonight, knowing Kawhi Leonard is out. And the worst thing is a torn ACL is very likely now what he has. And Which if he has a... That's next season he could be out as well, not just this season. That's next That's season. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. So – isn't, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that like, so now this year and next year are gone. So Kawhi will be coming back on the last year of his max contract. No, let me take a look at his little contract uh, situation. It's a very, uh, it's a very interesting one. Kawhi with the three, Kawhi with the three, Kawhi with the broken knee. Same problem as a spur that he had as a Raptor as he's having as a Clipper. So, yes, Kawhi's contract – well, Kawhi's contract is three years. He signed with the Clippers 2019-2020. Yeah, so his contract will be up. He'll be an unrestricted free agent in 2022. So, what you're telling me is in the 2022 season, after next year – because he's probably going to be sitting out all of next year if he has this ACL, right? Kind of like how Kevin Durant did. Yeah especially when that happened in the end of the playoffs. Remember how that went? Durant lost his whole season. If Durant and then if Kyrie would have gotten the next to the second round, Durant could have come back. So we're talking possibly not until June of next year that you're going to see Kawhi Leonard again. And who knows where the Clippers will be at that point? Will they even be in playoff contention at that point? Well, I think we're going to learn a lot about Paul George tonight. Your moment to lead, Paul, has come. Your moment to prove that you aren't the playoff flop that we all think you are. Here's the other thing. Rajon Rondo has to step up, and we need to see some old-school pick and roll. That's what's going to get Paul George going. Now, we, if you're the Clippers, I don't care what Tyron Lou drew up. I don't care what offensive schemes he's ever had in his life put together, right? I don't care about none of that. You want to know what I care about? I care about running the offense through Paul George 
because if he gets going shooting, he's a great defender and he's actually a spark plug for everybody on the floor. Remember, this is the same player that took the hapless Pacers who nobody thought were any good to playoff series, playoff series wins. This is not somebody who completely shrinks every time it's the postseason. We need to not see every time, time, a lot of the time. We need to see the other small players, <coughs> role players kind of all play their game. Maybe Beverly, oh, no. Patrick Beverly maybe needs to score a few points. Yes, he does. Reggie Jackson has to score a few points. Marcus Morris has to pick up a few, has to pick up the slack. Marcus more. Morris is another one that needs to feed off of Rondo. We need to see Morris and Rondo and more and uh, Rondo and Paul working together. That's what we need to see. We need to see people setting up shots for other people. We, it can't be the Kawhi show anymore. You don't got Kawhi Leonard to rely upon right now. So the Clippers, Clippers team is still good enough. They're still good enough. They're good enough to take two games from this Jazz team. I don't see the Jazz winning this series. Well, Ty Lue had better drop a very good game plan without Kawhi. That's Paul big. George had better step up and earn the money that he's being paid. By the way, he's getting paid more than Kawhi. So this is what you pay Paul George for. Exactly. Let's go to our next question of the four piece. This is a very interesting one. Uh, we can call this one. So the first two were kind of the appetizers, the mac and cheese, the, the chitlins, if you will. Oh, wow. You know about chitlins? Of course. Okay. Solid soul food. I, 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 give, I, 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 I haven't given you enough credit, Beast. Continue. You know, the fish whiting. What do we got here? Well, all right. This Ooh. is going this is going to White be our, fish. Yeah. This is going to be our pork, if you will. Mm. This is the Nets and the Bucks. Oh, that's pork neck. Ooh, yeah. that's your pork neck. This, ladies and gents, gets interesting now. So the it's Nets, not interesting anymore. It was interesting for a couple of the games. The Nets did the impossible last night. They were down they to seven. Impossible. Well, no, they, they were down almost they were down most of the game. They were down 17 at one point. The Nets uh, didn't do the impossible. Kevin Durant did the impossible. And Kevin Durant emerged from the ashes, 49 points, played a full 48 minutes. Durant is back. And if you were wondering, did he lose a step from the Achilles? The answer is no. And the, the answer crazy is no. part is, this is with James Harden only scoring five points. James Harden was out there as a damn decoy. Once Kyrie couldn't play, Harden said, listen, I'm not going to drive the hoop. I'm not going to do all this other stuff. I will be out there so that Kevin Durant has a chance to score the basketball. Joe Harris had seven points. That's somebody that needs to step it up and step it up real quick. If you're the Nets and you're a Net fan, this team, and Ian Eagle will tell you this, Noah Eagle will tell you this, anybody that covers the Nets will tell you this. This team lives and dies on Joe Harris. He is the spark plug. He is the conscience. He's the heart and soul of that team. Joe Harris is the fourth member of the big three. And want to know why I say he's the fourth member of the big three? Because usually when one of them's down, who's the one that picks up the scoring production for the one that's down? That's the max contract signed Joe Harris. Let's not forget max contract. Yep. So, if, even if you don't regard him as one of the big players on this team, the Nets checkbook does. He needs to step up. Well, Jeff Green stepped up, 27 points. And Blake Griffin, as much money. Blake Griffin stepped up, 17 points. Makes NBA minimum $500,000 for the Nets. And I felt like, at least in times of that game, I was seeing the old Blake Griffin. You were. 
You were. You were seeing a Blake Griffin that understood that he had to take command on that floor and do the dirty work for Kevin Durant. He needed to be the power forward while Durant was the small forward scoring the ball. Remember, this game, Griffin played four. Durant was playing the three. When Durant can play the three, he is unstoppable. Now, we followed Kevin Durant throughout his entire career, back to when he began with the Sonics in 2008, his time with the Thunder when they became the Thunder, to Golden State, and now here in Brooklyn. Is Kevin Durant, with that performance last night, because everybody was calling about it and ranting and raving about it, is Kevin Durant now the best player in the NBA after that yes. last night? Better than yes. LeBron? Better than yes. a Steph Curry? Yes. We knew he was better than a Steph Curry. Here's the thing we didn't know about Durant. We knew Durant was the best player in the NBA. Oh, well, he was number two to LeBron, but Father Time is now... Uh, we didn't know about his resolve, maybe, or his resiliency, in a way, maybe. We didn't know if he was going to recover from an Achilles tear <laughs> and be the same guy. How could last we ever night, know that? Well, last night confirmed everyone's answers. He's yes, back. He He's on the same level as Giannis. Now... The Nets could be a very much now back as the threat everybody feared. If Irving and Harden come back and come back healthy, the Nets are going to railroad. I don't think it through. matters. Uh, I think I the Nets think are going to railroad through everybody if those two are back. This, I don't is, think only it matters. this is only, this is with, with just Durant doing it all and with a semi-healthy Harden. I don't think that it matters if all three of them are there, as long as Kevin Durant's there. If Kevin Durant is on that floor, that's two members of any other big three production-wise. So you wouldn't if have Kevin trusted – so you would not have any trust if this was just Harden and Irving? If it was Harden and Irving, I'd trust it. If it was just Harden, I'd trust it. If it was just Kyrie, I don't trust it. If it's just Durant, not only do I trust it, I'd bet on it. Because Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo – are the two best players in the NBA. You are watching in this Nets Buck series, one and one A at this point. I would put Giannis as number one, Kevin Durant is one A, LeBron is the second best player in the league at this point. We're about to find out at the end of this series because now that Kyrie's out and now that Harden's out, this is straight up Durant versus Giannis and company. So now Giannis is the one that has the crew of Middleton and Holiday around him, while Kevin Durant's all by himself on, a lot, on an island by himself along with Joe Harris. And now we go to our... Now we see how good this net team actually is. And now we go to the entree of our soul food dinner. This is our catfish. Mm. The Buck... Sorry, the Hawks and the Sixers now. Side oh, man. Down. You that know, series is tied at two now, guys. I don't think uh, – why does everybody think Atlanta's going to win this series? Uh, because now you have a possibly injured Embiid. He clearly didn't look right in game four after the second half. Uh, you know how bad this is going to be now if Embiid goes down? You think the Sixers if, have a chance if Embiid's out? Yes. Really? Because you have to trust Ben Simmons to do what you drafted him to do. Yeah. When does Ben Simmons ever hit big shots? Ben Simmons needs to guard Trey Young. Yeah, ben no Simmons one's guarded him well. No one can contain Trey Young. We're finding out something about Trey Young here. Like, let me just tell you something. These NBA playoffs, you know, NBA playoffs 
a very rarely a stage where somebody comes out and shows the rest of the world exactly how good they are. Only the real greats excel themselves in the playoffs like that, right? Only the real greats. Let me explain to you what Trey Young is doing. He's showing you at the age of 22, he's a top five player in this league. Atlanta has found a – they took that lump of coal that was Trey Young. They put him under intense pressure, and they found a diamond, just like you said. Yep. The question now will be, and I guess we'll find that out tonight with game five, what direction is this series going? Who wins tonight, and who wins this whole series? Let me tell you something. Atlanta has to win game five. Has to win. Huh? Has to win. It's in Philly. This is in Philadelphia. This game five is in Philly. If Atlanta wins this series, they have to win it in six. And let me explain why. I don't think you're beating Philly in game seven on their home floor with Doc Rivers coaching, with Embiid having another couple days to get healthy. If you're the Hawks, you got to strike while the iron's hot. You got to strike while Embiid is hurt. You need to get game five. Now it's we're done with the Hawks being Cinderella. We're done with that. Now we now we have expectations of these Hawks. My expectation is this: if anybody wants us to take the Atlanta Hawks seriously, beating the Knicks in five games wasn't enough. Putting a good performance on against the Seventy Sixers isn't enough. Now. If Trey Young wants to be the man, he's got to go out there and beat, by all rights, the best team in the NBA in the regular season. That's what the Sixers were. They were the NBA's best team other than the Jazz. They were definitely the Eastern Conference's best team. So They even held off Brooklyn for first place. That's hard to do. They did. I don't think the Jazz would have been able to do that. I don't think the Jazz would have been able to do that if the roles were reversed. If Philly was in the West and the Jazz were in the East, well, I think held on, I think Brooklyn would have been number off, one. The Jazz held off Phoenix, right? I mean, Phoenix was coming at them. They were number one for a good while. Did you put Phoenix? Did you put Phoenix ahead of Brooklyn in any list? No, no. I wouldn't. Brooklyn have. has more talent than Phoenix. Exactly. Well, especially now that uh, Chris Paul's on the COVID list. Yeah, I'm going to be very curious to see. Uh, will Paul be ready for the next round, possibly before uh, the Suns play their next game? That's a damn shame for Chris Paul, too. We'll end it off on this point. Every time Chris Paul is getting that close to a championship, he's playing like God Paul Third, um, Mr. CP3. They should call him GP3 after the way he played this season. You get dealt a, a lot of people. The you get a rude slap from the heavens. You get a rude slap of reality in the face, and that reality is COVID-19. Hopefully, hopefully, he doesn't have a serious case. Hopefully... He's vaccinated and can get back earlier than expected. We're going to find out if Chris Paul's vaccinated or not, because how long he stays out is directly correlated with if he's vaccinated or not. If he stays out for only three or four days, then he's been vaccinated and he's been cleared and he's tested negative and he's back on the floor. If he is out for two weeks because of isolation protocol, then you know he didn't get vaccinated. So to me, if you're in the NBA, you should get vaccinated. I don't understand why you wouldn't take that step. I don't understand why anybody wouldn't take that step. Please go get your vaccines. Seriously, go get the shot in your arm. I did it. Beast did it. 
We don't have third heads growing out of our necks. We don't have fourth arms or tails coming out. We, we don't have blood clots. I mean, I might have blood clots for other reasons, but not because of the vaccine. Not because of the vaccine. No, but the point is, if you don't get the shot and then you're out for two straight weeks and the Suns losing the postseason, how, how, how do you feel about yourself then? With Chris Paul out, Cameron Payne is going to have to handle the role of point guard for, the, for this series. And Devin Booker is going to have to step up. Well, I mean, Booker's already been giving you about – Booker gave you 40 points or so each game. I mean, he gave exactly. you – he did what, you know, Booker's supposed to give you, right? I'd like to see, though, some of the other pieces around him. I'd like to see DeAndre Ayton step up a little bit. I'd like to see if Michael Bridges will step up. I want to see the rest of this Suns offense that has <laughs> the guidance of Chris Paul. Now here's your chance to utilize what you've learned from Chris yes. Paul – and win the biggest playoff games of your entire NBA career. Yep. Win them on the biggest stage where it counts. And with that, we're going to end this episode of Downtown Sports. I am the Beast of the East, John Perriente, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Chavoni. You can listen to Downtown Sports on 14 different platforms. Before we announce them, I'd like to thank our guests. I'd like to thank Pete Hoffman for joining us on the opening segment of our show, Talking MMA and UFC. He hosts a podcast called Fight Fan. He also is a producer for the Moose and Maggie show on WFAN. We want to thank him for joining us. Chris. You can hear that show from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, 6.60 a.m. Check him out. We'd like to thank Chris DeLarge for our NBA four-piece combo. want to thank our researcher, Tony Mainville. We want to thank our news producer, Girl Friday, Tanya Williams, for her work with us. As always, you can listen to our show on 14 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podday, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, and now on Verbal. 14 different platforms, rants, episodes, digital market, battle specials every Tuesday, Wednesday. We are downtown sports, and we are where sports come home. I want to thank you for joining us on this kick-ass edition of Downtown Sports. We'll be back next week. But until then, for the Beast of the East, Jonathan Parante, I'm the Mouth of the South, John Chagoni saying, we're out, boys. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.